Hey everyone, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. This week I am joined by author and podcaster Emma Gannon. Emma has a brand new book coming out called Disconnected. It's available in January and we today dive in and talk about all things the internet, social media, our relationship with it and our relationships with ourselves. I always love interviewing Emma she's fantastic I love her work and so this conversation really did feel like it was just a conversation between her and I I think I could have talked to her for another hour about these topics I am hugely fascinated by behavior behavior economics our relationship with communication and sharing and and the internet so I really enjoyed this one and I hope that you do too let's dive into this week's episode with Emma Gannon Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Emma, the last time you were on the show was in November 2019. So, I mean, we did not know what was coming. A lot has changed for both of us since then. Oh my God, so much has changed. Don't you find that all your memories are from 2019? Like anything I reference because yeah, we just missed a year, didn't we? So thank you so much for having me back on. Love your podcast. Oh, ditto. It's great. I've been looking forward to this. And firstly, I mean, you are an absolute wizard when it comes to the pace at which you can create and write. And you've published not one, but two books since you were last on the show. And you have another one coming out very soon. But before we dive into all of that, because... there's so much in that book and so many things we're going to talk about we mentioned there's been a lot of change it is pretty near impossible to remember our pre-pandemic lives but if you can think back to yeah November 2019 for you personally what has been the biggest changes since then well I was reflecting back on that time and I think I was quite frazzled at the end of 2019 and actually when I look at photos and I think we all have this probably I look at a photo of myself and I think I don't know who that person is actually I feel like a completely different person now my boundaries were all over the place I was saying yes to things I didn't want to do I was really a people pleaser still grappling with the idea of you know addressing that at some point Um, But I got a life coach in 2020, halfway through the pandemic. And I just, I really did turn my life around last year. And also it was really hard. And obviously, you know, as, as we all are sponges to other people's emotions, you know, there were just horrible times where you were just thinking this is terrible for everyone. But on a personal level, I've got to say, I addressed quite a lot of things in my life, I think, in that peace and quiet Mm. Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of being frazzled, being here, there and everywhere, especially I think if you're in, you know, if you're in publishing, if you're in media, if you work in, if you use social media as part of your business, if you have a professional brand, this idea of being everywhere, showing up, you know, kind of being on the guest list, being at the events, going to every single breakfast and lunch and thing that you were invited to. I actually spoke about this with with Candice Brathwaite. We were laughing because she was like, no one's getting me out of my house now. 
now unless it's literally like you know Beyonce and it was quite funny because she was like brands or you know events she said they're gonna have to work so much harder to get people in the room because people are not showing up for avocado on toast like it's just not happening anymore you know I think we've all had a bit of a wake-up call as to like we were literally running around London like so many people were and it was yeah I guess normal I think though when you say boundaries you know I I think of you honestly as someone who you know you have things like for example with your work life and your email responder and I feel like there's things in there that are boundaries that I'm always like wow I should be a bit more like Emma you know if you get the email that says I'm not working it's Friday I'll reply to you next week I'm like oh yeah she doesn't work Friday so has that always been there or is that quite new that's quite new yeah the the email responders new the really checking in with myself before I reply to anything or say yes to anything is new really kind of getting back into my body which I know you're you understand and you're very into but for anyone else you they might find that a bit like you know a bit woo woo but I'm trying to (laughs) understand my physical reactions more so that feeling of tension like in my chest when I'm saying yes to something when actually deep down I know I don't want to go I just think I'm getting more honest with myself with others and life gets better as a result of being honest I think and it's funny I talk about work so much on my platforms and obviously my podcast about work my books mainly are about work and lifestyle but I think what I'm sort of talking about when I say my boundaries have got better it's more so my personal life as well so you know being really honest when I'm stretched and I don't have the bandwidth for certain things or you know the the parties that I don't love parties like I think I've been trying to be someone I'm not for a long time I think we all do that so yeah last year was the year I got really clear on what I like what I don't like just being unapologetic really and for me that feels like a massive step forward yeah well of course it is it's funny you saying you don't love parties because I do love parties and as you know I'm an extrovert and I (laughs) love to be around people and I've really missed it and actually the last few weeks where I have been going to things not necessarily work events I think it's more social and you know friends oh my goodness I love it so much I don't think I realized how much I missed it actually yeah there was actually a thing on Instagram that said you know like one of those memes that go around saying check in on your extrovert friends during the pandemic because I was fine like I was lighting a candle and reading a book it was my some of my best friends who were massive extroverts I was like they're climbing the walls I think so that was funny and I know that those two extrovert introvert is quite a binary you know there's nuance within that but I yeah I'm really leaning into that part of my personality now like I do like staying at home I do like reading I do like writing not every writer wants to do a TED talk like it's okay to kind of stay at home and chill and redefine what success means a little bit as well. There's like a lot of that going on. Mm, yes. Oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm loving all of this. I mean, we're going to get into all of this stuff around the internet and around being a writer and about the things that you talk about. It's, it's, it's I'm always, I love your work, you know that already. But just one thing you touched on then around not every author has to be, you know, has to do a TED Talk or has to, for example, have a podcast or, you know, I do feel like now everyone in the world, whether they like it or not, there is an element of them that is brand that is, you know, whether they're a professional uh, nutritionist, whether they're a professional sportsman, whether they are a dentist, you know, it's like, well, you should create reels for your business. You should go onto podcasts and talk about upcoming trends. You should maybe get a book deal. And, and I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think it's fantastic. I think there's never been more of an opportunity for an individual to create, you know, upward mobility or create, a, you know, a portfolio career, which I personally think is fantastic if you want it. But on the flip side is for people that don't, I feel like there's this, 
this amounting pressure that's like, well, you should, you should, you should, you should have these seven different verticals. It's not, is it, is it okay now? Is it enough to say, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm an author. You can say one thing and be fulfilled and be successful if you, you know, as you say, what you define that to be without having to go, oh, is that, is that all? Like I, I heard a psychologist talking about this recently and it said people before they even graduated to become a doctor, they're already like, but I also need to do boom, 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 mm-hmm. all these other things because it's not enough now to just do one thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, being a multi-hyphenate or portfolio career or whatever you call it has always been simply someone with multiple interests. Like I'm interested in multiple things. I just am. I don't think I'm going to be one person with one job for life many of us won't but what I kind of now really push back on and feel like I already did in the multi-hyphen method to be fair was saying you don't have to monetize everything you don't have to have a side hustle it's do you want to have one like what are you missing from your life do you get home from work and feel like you're tired you're tired physically but maybe you're not tired creatively maybe actually that's something that you have burning inside you that you're not using in your day job and you could use it on a blog you could use it on a YouTube channel you could start a podcast. Maybe that's like this energy that you're not actually funneling into anything. And that can be a mental health bonus. That can be, Mm. I'm like taking this diagnosis of I don't feel great. Well, what can I do with that? I can prescribe myself creativity. I can journal, I can write. Like side hustle for me has always been a passion. It's always been relaxing. So when people say, oh God, you're telling people to like load up their plate with other stuff. It's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what it's about. Um, mm. But yeah, I, you know, I wrote about personal branding like back in 2013 or something. I remember writing it about it for a magazine and being like, got to have a personal brand. You've got to build who you are on the internet. Like it's going to help your career. I still stand by that. But mm. I do think it's gone a bit too far. And maybe I have a part to play in that. You know, I've always thought build the brand, build the brand. Now I'm as a 32 year old going, hmm, maybe I don't want to be so much of a brand anymore. Maybe I want to take some time offline and do other things as well. So it's, yeah, my new book is quite funny because I'm sort of, I'm not going back on anything, but I'm just evolving my thought on it, I think. Yeah, and exploring it deeper, which of course is, you know, you're right to do that because things change and evolve. The internet has changed and evolved. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the internet. Something, you know, you have written a lot about and your first book, Control or Delete, you know, is a book about growing up online. And the birth of the internet is arguably the most disruptive thing to have happened to human beings and the way we live our lives. It's changed the way we shop, the way we communicate, the way we work, travel, education, everything that we do and touch and see so I think for many people they would say they have a love-hate relationship with the internet particularly with social media so I'd love to know Emma through that journey and navigating it and exploring it as much as you have how would you describe your relationship with the internet and how has it changed over the years so interesting because when I wrote control Alt delete I I know a lot of people were like, well, why is she writing about the internet? That's just something we've always had. That's not even a topic. It's just like, we've got the internet, like we've got oxygen. It's just life. And I and I thought, no, no, I really want to write this book because one day we'll look back at the early days of the internet and think how interesting, how interesting that we had Nokia phones, how interesting that it then became a smartphone. And then we got emails on our phone. Like this is a process. We didn't just land where we are now with a phone that does absolutely everything from our map to our shopping, to our socialising, to our doctor's appointments. Like this is, we're at a time now where this has happened over like a few decades. And 
I just really wanted to look back at that time, which I think I looked at through rose-tinted spectacles at how amazing the internet was. It still is. And don't get me wrong, God, we would have had a horrible time in the pandemic without it. But I'm trying to look now at how much of it is good, how much of it is bad, how much do I want to be on it versus how much am I just scrolling endlessly? I think these are topics we're all talking about right now. But just as I'm looking at my relationship with alcohol or I'm looking at my relationship with meat, I'm looking at my relationship with boundaries, I'm just looking at my relationship with my phone, basically. And this isn't like a digital detox book of you're bad. You must go into a hut and you should meditate for two weeks because otherwise you're a bad person. This is me saying, okay, I can't actually do a digital detox. I find them really, really difficult. Uh, Why don't we, A, look at the reality that we are addicted? We are because the phones have made us addicted and we also probably like the distraction a little bit. And B, why don't we integrate sort of daily mini detoxes into our life and not like come up with these big grand plans we can't stick to so that's sort of what my book is it's like very small prompts just edging us away from our phones a little bit gosh so much in there yes i i agree i think this thing around addiction i mean i don't think anybody now would 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 deny that they have an addiction when it comes to the internet their phone social media i think because we're so dependent on it for a lot of the things that we do how we work how we communicate like i said how we shop there's all these things that i think you know i actually had a power cut last week and um the road that i live on i've got you know i'm, I'm lucky i live in a close and all of our neighbors are on like a whatsapp group because some of the um residents are elderly so straight away i was like oh let me just check and see how everyone's doing is everyone else's power cut out and you know somebody popped over and it and then I realized within about 10 minutes I was like oh I can't put the kettle on because it doesn't work oh I can't go on my computer there's no internet and all I thought in that moment was thank god I have my phone (laughs) because my phone with you know with 5g I was like oh I can still send an email to this person who's expecting me to jump on a zoom or whatever and just having the internet turned off I mean thank god my son wasn't here he was at school I think he would have lost his well no I don't you know but to not to just turn off your internet if you just turned off your wi-fi you know when people move house and they go oh my gosh there's no wi-fi until Tuesday and you realize how we are so interdependent within an hour you will notice the you'll notice that you don't have it so yeah. i think it's yeah that was that was quite shocking for me to not necessarily just choose to disconnect in in that way but just to go oh wow like there's so many things you actually can't do now because there's no internet at your yeah. house so interesting and i didn't include this in the book but that just reminds me of an example where i knew i knew this is an addiction and i'd know that we want to maybe not use that word because it feels so strong but i went to quite a remote place in Morocco once and I knew I could charge my phone when I got there but I did I forgot my charger and I arrived at this really remote town I was not going to get a phone charger from any shops and I remember knowing that my phone was about to die and I didn't have a charger and I remember just sweat like sweating like like mm-hmm. someone who realized they didn't have cigarettes or something that they were addicted to I was having right. a physical reaction from the fear of not having my phone and it's like okay we need to look this in the eye and talk about it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And for me, I think one of the biggest changes I think has been brought about by the internet is pace and speed. Now, again, as a parent, I think I probably see this a lot um, with my son and also with myself, actually. So regardless, everything is faster now. Of course, that has pros and cons. But because we can share and receive news instantly from around the world, we can order food on an app and it can arrive in minutes. We can research and compare hundreds of places to visit before we make a decision. We can scroll through dating apps and see hundreds of potential partners before we make a decision. We can literally see so much at such pace that I think 
our tolerance and our I get patience in real life has got shorter and shorter and shorter. And personally, I think our expectations have got higher and higher. So an example that I think of myself is that I literally stood the other day and pressed for the lift and I was waiting for the lift and I was waiting for the lift. And after about 15 seconds, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, come on, come on, come on. It's so slow. And I was like, Adrienne, you're literally waiting 15 seconds for the lift. Will you just chill? (laughs) Because I'm used to just like, if you press the button, you want it now, you know, and will I am from Black Eyed Peas. He says, we are the now generation. We want everything now. Click the button. I want it now. And I just was like, you need to chill out because if you have to wait 60 seconds for the lift, just wait, Mm -hmm. just do nothing and just stand here. So yes, I'm trying to check my own impatience. But as we mentioned in the book, you explore how the internet connects us but also how it ultimately leaves us disconnected from ourselves and I really liked that it wasn't necessarily about oh you know other people but from our own ideas our own opinions what we like what we don't like so before we get into all of that tell us why Emma we've talked about it a bit why did you want to write another book about the internet well you've just touched on it there I really wanted to address how we are the now generation we are sort of losing our attention span a little bit, but also just losing ourselves a bit. And then maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience, but I wanted to write quite personally in the book about how I felt like I'd sort of drifted away from myself a bit. I think there are books out there that do talk about how we're drifting away maybe from each other, like we're hyper-connected, but we're actually maybe not connected. Like maybe we're liking or sending like the fire emoji to our best friend. That's not really a proper conversation and it's never been more important to have that but I think I wanted to touch on that fast pace and how our output is endless now so where does productivity stop that was one thing I wanted to talk about in the book like when the hoover was invented it wasn't like housewives back then could um you know do more and then have a break they actually just then did more so therefore our working day at the moment if we look back we would be like whoa oh my God, like I've spent, I've sent like 50 emails this morning. I mean, I haven't, but I could, um, you know, I probably couldn't do that back then because my idea of productivity was different. I probably would have handwritten something to someone. <laughs> I don't know. Like I was, mm. you know, it was quite old school when we first got our phones. So it's all of these things. I really just wanted to touch on that fast paced advertising and the algorithms and just completely being targeted at all times. Like I could have a shopping habit if I wasn't reining myself in at the moment. The amount of things that are being sold to us every single day, I mean, it's all these things. Like, that's what the book is about, really, is, like, there's so much (laughs) to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bit that, when I said about, yeah, disconnected from the self and why I think that is so important, and maybe I I wasn't expecting so much, because when you think disconnected, yeah, you might assume, oh, we're disconnected from each other, even though we're always, as you said, sending emojis. But yeah, the idea of yourself, your own ideas, your own opinions. And because I knew I was having this conversation with you, maybe that prompted this in my mind. But yesterday I was walking, I was in John Lewis, and there was all of the, you know, Christmas stuff out. There was, um, you know, the table decorations, Christmas tree decorations, all of that. And there was a sign, a huge sign, part of the campaign that said get your house insta ready for christmas and it literally made me because i knew we were having this conversation it made me think so much about the fact that not only are you say you want to decorate your table and have a lovely table runner and have christmas lights and all these things it's not only are you thinking about the people who are in your house 
sitting at that table enjoying it but it's the perception it's the constant how will everyone else perceive my house when I post this picture or my outfit when I post this picture or you know people will choose as we know to go to a specific holiday in a specific hotel to sit by a specific pool to get a specific photo to share on Instagram with their followers with their friends their family strangers they've never met because really so if you take all those things away back to this point of disconnected from the self do you actually like that table runner do you actually like that particular hotel or are we doing these things because that's what everybody else likes or that's what we think they'll like and that's what will impress them and the perception is more important than our own taste and that is bizarre yes that is exactly it and there was a statistic i think i've included in the book that uh it was it was an expedia kind of research uh, study thing but they were saying that most young people i think it was like 54 percent or something actually book their destination for their holiday based on how instagrammable it is like you're saying we want to get the best shot of the pool we want to get the best you know insta shot and also the fact that a lot of people have admitted that they would take on a job or they would take on some sort of goal based on how it would look when they announced it not based on how they would feel when they would actually do it and that was just mind-blowing to me and I think Grace Beverly talks about this in her book about announcement culture this idea of Mm. being in this culture of just how does it look how does it look how does it look and I definitely got a little bit swept up in that a few years ago. And that's why I wanted to talk about my disconnect from myself, how I got that back and how to get my taste back, how to get my own opinions back. I mean, there's a lot in the book about how to think for yourself in a world where the whole (laughs) world is trying to tell you what to think at all times. I interviewed Tom Chatfield, who's a doctor of, you know, tech and philosophy, and he's just amazing about how I fell into the trap recently of before forming any opinion like any basic opinion I would go on Twitter and just see what everyone else was saying that is just so frightening to me I want to be someone who knows what I think I want to have my own Mm. thoughts and so that's a whole section in the book that was really fun to write because yes we're being told what books to buy Amazon is telling us what we like Spotify is getting playlists ready for us it's amazing and we're tailored our tastes are tailored for but how much of that is a bubble how much of how much are we missing out of when we don't stumble across things and we don't find the hidden gem and we don't go to the hotel that's not reviewed and we don't just find a restaurant that hasn't been on TripAdvisor. I just want to get a bit of that back. Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting because, of course, I think the internet, I personally think it gets such... It's the villain, you know? I think it gets demonised. We want to blame all of our bad habits, all of our problems, all of society and cultural, any issue, it's the internet's fault, which, of course, is not true. And, uh, you know, Gary Vee talks a lot about this when he says that human beings ultimately, you know, he said, we're always the same, we've always been the same, we've always done the same things, but the internet has exposed us. And I think, you know, even when you said then around what do I actually think, you know, going to Twitter to check people's opinions, is that that different to when people are in a conversation or a work meeting setting where they hold back to see what, the boss thinks you know the hippo effect like what's the highest paid person in the room what do they think and then that will inform my view or just you know our friends our our neighbors like what car are they driving you know has that always been yes innate in us to do that we kind of want to yeah I guess go with the consensus but this way we can just I guess do it in a digital sense before we commit to to our own opinions online maybe well I think that's I think that's the difference though is is 
finding out what your neighbor thinks or your partner thinks or your boss thinks is so different from finding out what a load of random strangers think you know it's interesting with twitter that i don't know anyone on there really you know these are just random people to me i'm following people that live all around the world that's great but actually do their opinions matter should they matter that i guess that's the question should the fact that i post a tweet and it can be taken about a million different ways by so many different people should I be listening to a million different thoughts on my choices in my life? You know, I think that's probably not as relatable because I'm probably someone with more eyeballs on what I'm doing now. But still, I feel like we're being swayed and influenced and someone we'll never ever meet in our life is telling us what they think of us on Twitter. How healthy is that for us? I don't think it's that healthy. I think you making your circle slightly smaller and figuring out what you think with people that you know and trust and love feels better. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on this already about how do we start to disconnect? How do we start to maybe detox or think for ourselves? And another shocking stat that I read in your book was, I think it was from Inc. Magazine. And it said that we tap, swipe or click on our phones on average 2,617 times per day. Now, although that number sounds mad, if you think about that, including yeah, every tap, every swipe, every scroll, I'm actually surprised it's not more depending on you know what your job is and how much you use your phone. I know that most people don't want to admit to their total daily screen time. I can't remember which podcast it is, but there's a podcast where you have to, they ask the guests to go on their phone and this was before when they were all recording in a studio and they would say to them, open your phone right now and go on to screen time and show us what it is. And I feel like, you can imagine the actual anxiety. I think there was one person who was like 13 hours a day. And they were like, how is it that high? But I think for the average person, it's probably between six to eight. So it's no wonder that so many of us are choosing to do a digital detox for a few days or a few weeks so is this something this is something that you've done before right so how how was that and is it something you'd recommend for us to try well I I wanted to address that in the book because I think the social dilemma Netflix documentary only came out last year feels like it came out ages ago I feel like that opened our eyes to a lot of this stuff about how we shouldn't blame ourselves really for being that addicted yes okay we have to take some sort of accountability of course um but when I learn about how that swipe down of the Instagram feed and then it refreshes is exactly the same as a slot machine in an arcade. Just that knowing that is just like, oh my God, I'm literally like in Las Vegas pulling slot machines when I'm on my phone. This is so bad for my nervous system, feeling like I'm going to get treats because you could and win, likes but you and might rewards. Not. <laughs> I know. And every time you look at your email, it's like we all remember the email where it was like, we're going to pay you this much money to go on a press trip. <laughs> haven't got one of those for like three years but I know that I could so I'm pulling it down pulling it down it's funny that that is the way it is but at the same time do we have agency over ourselves we do I think we truly do and I like to think that we can get ourselves out of things that we're in but yeah I wanted to talk about that and also the fact that maybe we quite enjoy being a little bit distracted with our phones But I like tough love sometimes. I follow Seth Godin. I follow Mel Robbins. I follow people who are like, you can do it. You can change your life. Like, I know you love that too. So sometimes that doesn't work on people. But for me, I like someone saying to me, look at your screen time. Don't tell me you don't have time. You do. Come on. And this isn't saying, I know, you know, a lot of people really don't have a lot of time. I don't have kids, for example. Like, I have more time than a lot of people. 
But I do think that our phone is stealing from us. I think that it's stealing our creativity. It's stealing our time. It's stealing our lives. It's stealing our attention. And so when you really look at it in the eye and just say, okay, my screen time is a little bit out of hand. What can I do to change that? It's a small steps. And that's why my book is full of very small little suggestions. This isn't like overhaul your entire life overnight. This is just like maybe put your phone over here or maybe you can change your notifications maybe you can turn them off maybe you can put on your emails that you'll only get a ding when it's like a high priority email so you're not getting dinged every time like your cousin sends you a random email about something you don't need to read until tomorrow it's just these little tweaks I feel really passionately about Oh my gosh, you're speaking to the right person when you talk about time yes. and productivity and people saying they don't have enough time because of course that was been, you know, with the power hour, with the book, with everything that I do online, often people will say, Adrian, this sounds great, but I just don't have the time and we're all time poor and there's so many things stealing our time from us, which is why I'm just on constantly trying to, I guess, maybe it is tough love, but in an encouraging way, say to people, take responsibility and reclaim your time because if you don't it will be stolen and taken from you from everyone and anything whether that's the internet whether that's an email ping whether that's your kids your boss whatever so you're definitely speaking to the right person on that sense but something I guess I want to dive into that you said there was about you know responsibility because I think the flip side to that word is blame Mm -hmm. and I often think people don't want to you know they feel attacked it's like you're blaming me and like you said with the social dilemma thing it was like oh great it was like we can blame someone else there's a bad guy here that's almost like the puppeteer and um, it's not my fault if I'm addicted to my phone or it's not my fault if I watch Netflix till 2am every morning because there's all these algorithms there and it's true but where do we or how do we I guess take responsibility take autonomy and agency to say of course these things are there they're going to impact us it's just like sugar or nicotine or alcohol they're not neutral I I know that you know people say well technology is neutral you know what you do with it is up to you I don't buy that but how do we yeah start to take responsibility and say you know what Emma you know what Adrienne you do have a choice here yeah well that's the thing I I said this when I wrote my book Sabotage which is all about self-sabotage and how you know that came from a personal place of when I would be messing up my life for and I was doing it to myself (laughs) drinking a whole bottle of wine for a really early start where the meeting was really important you know what what was that about that's why I wrote that book and that was not about self-blame that was about self-protection that was like I'm clearly going through something and my brain is trying to protect me by you know trying to make me mess it all up so I could just hide away basically I was scared so this is really looking at the same sort of thing like we're sort of self-sabotaging a little bit here by spending all this time on our phone what can we do to change it for me it's about being really kind to yourself being really aware of what you're doing if you need to scroll for three hours on the sofa because you've had a really hard day there is no blame there you do you but at the same time if it's not serving you and you're sort of a bit foggy and maybe you could have done a little bit of exercise that could have made you feel better or like you know I'm obviously I'm no expert here by the way in terms of like nutrition and all that stuff but I just know from experience that like scrolling for three hours on the sofa wasn't helping me it wasn't furthering my goals it wasn't helping me write my books so I just really wanted to change it and I think the first step was just being really aware of it like oh I'm slightly glazed over when I look at my phone oh I feel like in a loop okay Right. So it's it's just like acknowledging it, I suppose, at first. And then mm. being really, really kind to yourself and making really, really small steps. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my phone on airplane mode now and I'm gonna go for half an hour and just like light a candle, read a page of my book, and if I wanna go back on my phone afterwards, then that's fine. But it's just it's awareness and it's honesty, I think. Mm. That's the first thing. 
Well, your approach is much kinder, I think, than mine, Emma. I'll be honest. <laughs> I think this is what I mean about the tough love. Yours is like, you know, it's okay. Turn on airplane mode. Mine is far more. I have to be, I think, because I wouldn't get any work done otherwise. And maybe as a parent as well. I think, well, if I have the expectation of my son to listen to me, then I have to listen to me. So I basically am far more black and white. I'm like, Adrian, you are not doing that. Get, you know, for example, phone is on airplane mode or it's upstairs. And I make these hard lines. Like, for example, I haven't, I used to, for probably about two or three years, I used to post what I was doing in my power hour on Instagram, on my stories, because I'd go for a run and I'd be like, it's 5.30, who's doing a run? No one. Um, And I would also do, you know, I don't know, if I was reading something, I might. But even by doing that, again, I was caught in this loop. I was like, if I'm not sharing what I'm doing in my power hour, people might not know that I have a power. People might think that I'm asleep. People might think I'm a fraud. Let me show them and prove, look, this is my, it's ridiculous. So for the last, I don't know, year more I don't know when I just made this decision I don't look at my phone in the morning until after my power hour because my power hour is for me to do the things that I need to do so unless I'm listening to a podcast on my run I don't even look at it so once I do enter the online world whether that's seven o'clock eight o'clock nine o'clock I've already done you know my hour or whatever but it's interesting that I have to be very binary I have to be like no Adrienne you are not doing that until you've done this you are not doing that until you have finished this work or you've got seven emails to send send them all before you look at your inbox I have to be so binary because otherwise I would honestly Emma I could sit on my phone and go from one thing to another thing to another thing and I would get nothing done Mm -hmm. I don't know how people get dressed basically (laughs) if they go on their phone in the morning well I think this is really hitting the nail on the head though is that it's our relationship with our phones is so personal just how some people can't have a sniff of alcohol otherwise it's like game over for the day you know like some Mm. you know we're all so different and how our habits form is so different so you know sometimes for me the way like a small thing I've done is treat my phone as like a bit of fun time like I get to like the evening sometimes and I'm like, oh, I can go on my phone for an hour. <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, I can mess around with it, but, but limit myself. That's the thing. And mm-hmm. I, I guess that's sort of a lot of what the prompts are in the book is like ring fencing your time. Like you, obviously you've spoken about this so much with the power hour, but you know, maybe putting your phone to bed like an hour before you go to bed, like that, that to me, I've, I've always struggled with that. I don't always do that, but something that I do do is kind of, I go on it in the morning, I go on it at lunchtime and I go on it in the evening. Like, and I that just works for me because then I've got maybe I'm my screen time isn't that bad then it's like three hours a day it's fine but it's like yeah. how do you want to curb it and how does it work for you and how does it fit into your day and really this is what I always try and do with my books is not tell anyone what to do but just suggest little things that get people thinking that's sort of what I love to do yeah and it's a show don't tell as well isn't it if it's something that's working for you or something that I do that works for me yes and of course exactly. I want to share it and I'll show don't tell as opposed to yeah this like waggy finger you should do what I'm doing because nobody nobody wants that no, um, no but we are in a world of it aren't we I feel like we're like oh of course we're like so you know we're so in this like advice era of like everyone's got advice for everyone and I you know it can be so helpful but sometimes I find that really overwhelming as well so it all ties in together I suppose Hmm. Well, I've got two other topics already on my list, which are quite big ones. So the first one is about relationships, because as much as we're talking about disconnecting from the self, of course, if we live with other people, whether that's children, partners, wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, whoever, friends, how 
does everything that we've talked about so far how is this impacting relationships i i had a psychologist on this podcast about a year ago who said that the quality of our relationships is directly determinant to the light our, our expectancy of our life how long we will live more so than our diet more so than if we exercise if we smoke if we drink the thing that will determine and has the most correlation is the the quality of our relationships which I found kind of shocking especially as someone as you know when it comes to the diet aspect I, I felt like that was the one even sleep actually yeah so it's really really fascinating and you know we've probably seen examples you know with elderly people where one partner dies and the other person literally has no reason to live and then they die as well so relationships are important without them we don't have meaning and purpose to to go on living so how is all of this that we've talked about how is this impacting our relationships do you think yeah well it is a lot because we are misunderstanding each other more than ever through the internet this is the thing we're not in person we don't have body language we don't have facial expressions a lot of the time things can be misconstrued there was a study recently that i think one in four people have had a fallout with a friend recently of the last two years on whatsapp and other platforms that aren't visual because we are getting things wrong with each other a lot and it's like we can see this globally or from a real bird's eye view that we're under we're misunderstanding each other with politics with big topics to do with climate change like we're, we're just not really hearing each other out and it can get really nasty really quickly which actually I don't think is human nature I think human nature is to lean in and be curious and listen out listen to people but we're not very good at listening I don't think anymore from what I can see anyway on online moving through the world but yeah I really wanted to talk about that the fact that something's not something's disconnecting with our relationships at the moment and there's a bit in the book actually where I talk about the rise of voice notes and how that even that can really change a friendship dynamic like I remember getting back in touch with a friend during the pandemic and we started voice noting again and we just felt connected again I mean that's such a simple Mm. example but being behind screens is not necessarily helping us move forward with a lot of our relationships I talk about in the book um, a talk I did at the Oxford Union a few years ago and it was all about Mm. is social media ruining our relationships basically and there was this study that I spoke about where I think it was like a percentage of men in Australia (laughs) were checking their phones during sex and I remember said, like yeah, it was like a pros and cons right for and against and everyone and, in the yeah. room laughed but I think they laughed because it was like oh actually I think that's where we're at that we're so phone comes first type thing and there was also a study with generation z that said that they felt I think it was like over 50 percent of gen z studied in this particular one said they all they felt upset because when they were with their friend they their friend was on their phone um, and I well, that was so. So I think it is getting in the way. It is. Mm. Well, that was what I was. That was what I was thinking about because, of course, there's the communication aspect of digitally communicating, as you mentioned. So maybe not understanding the person, or maybe, for example, I know that I, I send such short, sharp messages because often I'm just like boom, 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 send, boom, 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 send. I don't do the long with even in my emails. I think I can probably, if anyone didn't know me, they'd think, gosh either she's rude or she's in a rush and I'm it's neither of the things it's just the way that I 
communicate I think online the way I type so it can be quite like yes this is what you asked for here you go see ya (laughs) it's very short but I think what I was thinking about more when it comes to how it's impacting us is yeah how it's impacting us when we actually are together with people for example sitting on the sofa in the evening or sitting around a table and it's funny because you're you know you said you're very honest in the book you're very yeah, very honest, very candid, you know, and I think it's hard for people to do that without feeling a judgment or shame that they're confessing. And a friend of mine said to me that when she first started going back into the real world post-pandemic for meetings and stuff she was like she said she felt a physical anxiety if she was sitting at the table let's say she's having a breakfast meeting with somebody they've ordered the food that she's like I felt like I can't look at my phone because it's rude to look at my phone so she was like I felt this physical anxiety to leave the table to like pretend for example that she needed the bathroom to go to the bathroom just to look at her phone (gasps) and so I was like but what I was like what were you worried about like missing something like you know and she was like I don't know she was like I just had to like refresh my emails look at social media like look at whatsapp and then go back to the breakfast because it was like i can't just sit here for like two hours and not look at my phone but it'll be rude to the other person if i'm scrolling my phone but but that makes me relieved in a way that there's still that social etiquette left that we think oh it's rude because (laughs) i you know i think a lot of young people i mean maybe i'm gonna sound old now but a lot of young people in my life they don't they're looking at their phone at the table they don't care and I'm like, hey, put it away. <laughs> no, I feel like it's the way around. I feel, maybe it's who I hang out with, but I feel like it's the way around. I feel like there's a judgment. If you pick up your phone at a table, I feel like the looks and the shame, it's like this cloud of like you, like, I don't know. I feel like it's really social. I think it's socially unacceptable now to sit in a social environment, scrolling on your phone and people judge you. Ah, yes. Well, no, but I think of our age group, maybe we think that. I wonder if, mm. if Gen Z clearly because this study showed that they were getting a bit upset with each other for always being on their phone maybe there isn't this sense of it's rude maybe it's like oh it's just life i'm on my phone but Mm -hmm. i i really hope that it lasts like i i if i'm having a dinner party and everyone sat around on their phone i would say something i'd be like can you put them away (laughs) Mm. yeah that's what i mean (laughs) yes exactly exactly and and the weddings too. I've seen a lot of these no phones allowed no social media allowed uh, um, at people's weddings and then they'll say the next day everyone goes oh I was at this wedding yesterday here's a picture of me in my dress looking cute but on the day it was a no phone day I've seen a lot of that actually yeah yeah I do think there's a shift happening and I and that makes me optimistic because I was asked recently do you know do you think it's really doom and gloom do you think we're really addicted do you think it's gonna our relationships are all gonna break down and I was like no no I don't think that at all I think we're going through an adjustment period we are seeing like lots of friends of friends or colleagues leaving the internet we're seeing people being very drastic with their with the changes they're making to their phone we're seeing people you know turning their phone off for the whole weekend I know Venetia Lamana does her like offline 48 which is amazing and lots of people do that now where you're offline for 48 hours we're seeing things happening and so I really wanted to write this book to be like how interesting is it that our relationship is changing and I hope this means we're kind of we're going to go maybe full circle and become hopefully more connected in the end once we've kind of feasted on the internet for as much as we can and realize that it's kind of endless and it can kind of make us a little bit miserable Hmm. yeah because you're right I think the optimism or the even not optimism but just not the pessimism that it's just all doom and gloom because one thing that we know that is very you know real bad kind of downside or, or kind of danger of the internet I suppose is our cancel culture and that's something that you you touched on in the book and something I really wanted to talk to you about because you know you say at one point in the book as well how the internet can quickly make or break we've seen it happen to 
brands, celebrities, teachers, you know, we can quickly cancel people for something that they've done, something that they've said. So firstly, Emma, I'd love to maybe, I guess, for anyone listening who's like, I don't even know what that is, what is cancel culture and why do you think it is becoming such a big part of our lives? Well, cancel culture, I think, has been in the mainstream for a few years now. I talk about in the book when I first saw the word trending on Twitter, someone had been cancelled and it was saying that someone was over, like their career was over. And it was for a very small kind of mishap, I remember. I just remember thinking, oh, that's like a little blip and this person's cancelled apparently by everyone and they they should go off the internet forever and, you know, like live in a cave. <laughs> and, you know, it was like kind of funny at first and then it got really serious. And now we're seeing that cancel culture is an umbrella term for a lot of different things like we could say Harvey Weinstein's been cancelled and he actually has for very good reasons that's someone who very much did the wrong thing like big time but then we're seeing people being cancelled for maybe saying the wrong thing on a podcast and by wrong thing I mean maybe just something that a few people don't agree with so Mm -hmm. I think it's a really valid fear for a lot of people especially content creators like online content creators we know because we've seen it that your career could be on the surface cancelled or you should be publicly shamed you could be publicly shamed for something you've done and I think people are moving through the world in a very cautious way at the moment because we're so scared of saying the wrong thing and that's sort of the death of creativity a lot of my book really disconnected is about getting our creativity back really that's at the center of it Mm. how do we move through the world and have better conversations connect be in a community where we feel like we've got the trust and I think with cancel culture as well We've also seen that it doesn't actually work. It's not actually a thing. People get cancelled and then they come back and they get more money and they get more fame and they get more followers. If anything, the cancellation, in air quotes, has just highlighted them further. And we see this especially with white men, for example, or anyone that holds privilege and power. So mm. it's it's a really odd one and it's a really strange terminology. And I kind of say in the book, I just hope we kind of get over talking about, not get over talking about it, but maybe get over using the phrase so often yeah oh gosh there's two things here so one i was thinking that is there a pro is this is there some benefit to this and you know you said where people have rightly you know done outrageous things or acted in a way that is unacceptable and i think before it's funny because you said you know death of creativity whereas i think it was piers morgan said that cancel culture is the death of free speech and it was actually like no because you are going to be held accountable if that speech is hate speech or if it's you know for example you know in his case people are like no you're going to be held to account so it's not the death of free speech it's death of the day when as a white powerful privileged man you could essentially do and say anything without being held to account mm-hmm. so i guess you know there's nuance and maybe there's a good side but I think the danger and maybe the fear as you mentioned you know this is for people who may be creating um online content but that's now most people if you think about young people for example you know the fear that I think some of them have maybe if you imagine navigating high school or university or you know having ideas being creative sharing things and then being cancelled and actually you know the impact that we know that that has had on people's mental health like people have tried to take their own lives some actually have because the internet has cancelled them and that is terrifying it's like a it like makes me think back to the like witch hunt days Yes. Well, that's the thing, like with that example of Piers Morgan, that's just someone using the phrase, like with woke, weaponizing it against people and taking it out of context. And it's annoying that then it's like, oh, you're making this a narrative. It's not even, we're not even talking about. But then with 
cancel culture as it stands like it's not it's not new this like none of it is new because we've always wanted to hold people to account I hope it's just not been on the internet so it's not been this environment where everyone piles on and like you say I think the mental health aspect I can't really shy away from how damaging I think it would be for the person who is being cancelled and that's the nuance is as social animals we just want to sort of join in maybe and sort of pile onto the underdog but I I really can't watch that I find that really I mean unless someone's done something really really terrible I just feel like that person like what are they going through then you know we've dehumanized each other a little bit I think and do you think as a creative person do you think it ever holds you back you know I recently did an interview with a poet called Inq. he's an incredible poet and obviously when you're creating spoken word poetry some of the things that he talks about are quite political and quite you know emotive and do you think that for example when you're writing your book or when you're creating a podcast script if you had an unpopular opinion do you feel like you would have the courage to share it and say yeah this is my unpopular opinion because I know that myself I'll be completely honest with you I've certainly felt times where I've gone oh maybe maybe it's self-censoring maybe it's double triple checking because I'm like actually maybe courage isn't even the right word but it's a fear that actually does it limit limit us as creative people to actually stretch our thinking to to go beyond the the parameters of our initial idea you know Adam Grant talks about this think again rethinking relearning you can change your mind are we allowed my morals on anyway but it's like I just think it's really strange that we have to double down so much on our opinions all the time before we've probably even had room to breathe and grow and that's why people in the in the media who really double down on their beliefs and really build a brand around I don't like this and I don't like that it's like well you're then we're then just clashing against people constantly why can't we just have a conversation and maybe part of this is too optimistic like in the book I talk about how can we have better conversations how can we listen to people we don't agree with more how can we disagree without jumping to I don't like you I think that's a big one for me I can disagree with someone and still like them and so 
yeah, it's a huge topic and I really hope we get there where we can be comfortable in saying how we feel. Um, for me, as I get older, I become stronger in my in my bravery, I think, to just share what I think. And I'm so open to being like called out and like people saying that like that's not cool. Like I... I'm learning all the time. We all are. So if I, if those moments happen, they're a learning moment and they're a moment to grow as a human being. And that's all really, I think we're on this planet to do is to learn and grow. So I'm, I'm all up for getting it wrong sometimes. I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to get it wrong. And I also think it's healthy to look back at old books and think they're outdated. Of course they are, hopefully because society's moving on. So I'm not going to cancel a book from 10 years ago myself because I'm like that book probably at the time did something. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Mm. Like skinny eyebrows. Yeah. Wow. But it's, do you know what the example <laughs> of at the moment though, just to give you a really like <laughs> basic example is um that new and just like that, uh, the Sex and the City reboot. Mm-hmm. So I like it. I think it's good and I have enjoyed it. And I'm the minority in that opinion, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Emma, I've probably only seen the first, I think apparently I've heard it gets better. But yeah, I've only seen the first one episode in the first 15 minutes of the second. And yeah, I didn't enjoy it either. In fact, I, I, I yeah, I, I thought the two star reviews that I'd read were generous. So, <gasps> see, yeah, see, I see. Also, but do you still like And I do wanted you still to like it. I wanted to. <laughs> Yes, of course. But the thing is, it's funny because I wanted to, this is the thing, you know, you said about what's everybody else thinking. I knew that everyone had said it was rubbish and it had been panned. So I didn't, it's not like that informed my opinion because I was rooting for it. You know, that thing you're like, I wanted to love it. Like I had the HBO DVDs. I used to watch that show. So I was rooting for it so much. And I just was like, oh no. I know. I know. That's a whole other podcast episode. But yeah, no, I know. I think maybe I have too much love in my heart for them that I just can't not love them but yeah but no it's an example of you know you know have your own opinion it's okay (laughs) yeah exactly and and I was gonna say guilty pleasure but it's not a guilty pleasure because you like it so it's fine (laughs) Um, but with that in mind with with optimism in mind before we wrap up I'd love to know where you think yeah where do you think it goes from here and are you optimistic are you excited do you think you know we've talked about it a little bit but I guess to go a little bit further you know there's AI there's there's you know SpaceX there's all these things that we are exploring and I actually just started reading a brand new book and I wish I knew the author's name in my mind but I literally have just read the first 10 pages yesterday it's called Exponential and it's exploring um you know the the future of the internet it's it's wow already I'm like I'm gonna love this book and it's about exponential and you know yeah the pace and how where we're going so yes are you excited about things like AI are you ever tempted to do a Cal Newport and just completely leave the internet and be in a cave in a utopia what what are your thoughts on the future Hmm. I definitely have daydreams about that every so often where I'm like, I'm going to pull the plug and I'm going to go and work in a little bookshop or live by the sea. (laughs) But I think it is just a daydream because I do think we're all much more embedded than we like to think. I don't know how, I don't know how easy it would be to leave now. Um, But, you know, maybe I'm curious about AI. I keep my eye on it as we all do, but it's interesting that every single year there's like a trend report that like we're going to have self-driving cars or whatever and we never really get them. So I think there's so much going on behind the scenes that maybe when it arrives, it's going to be a bit of a shock or it's a slower growth than we think. I don't know. 
But yeah, I do daydream about kind of unplugging. I think uh, just as I said, I'm sort of open to changing my mind. I've always been someone kind of quite open to changing my career. I think that what holds us back sometimes is feeling that we have to be a certain person forever. So I think my life could look very, very different in the next few decades. Maybe I won't be as plugged in. Maybe I will pull back a little bit. Um, So I'm excited for that. But on the whole, I am optimistic. And I think that we are collectively looking at this. And I think collectively, we're putting boundaries in place that weren't there before with our phones. So that could be a really nice future of using the internet for, I hope, what it was meant for, which is connection and furthering our education and making the world a better place and sharing information and getting petitions signed and doing our activism and hopefully changing the world for better. Like I I completely think the internet can do all those things. And so maybe with these adjustments and like us looking at it and discussing it, yeah, it could be an optimistic future. Hmm. Well, I also am interested in AI and I have another fantastic book to recommend. This is by Kai-Fu Lee. It's called 2040. And that is really fascinating when it talks about, as you mentioned, the AI that we've kind of, we we think about this futuristic like sci-fi version but in reality i think it i think when it does arrive if you like and when we do have it it's going to be very impactful for automation that's going to impact jobs it's going to impact um yeah industries like industry disruption like we've never seen before you know if we think about cars coming and replacing a horse and cart or let's say you know digital streaming you know meant that blockbusters was no longer needed i think it's going to be that times a hundred so his work's really really fascinating again there's pros and cons to everything it's not a doom and gloom story but it is fascinating when we think that we can't really imagine actually and we we maybe won't recognize the our lives because if you like i said if you go back just i don't know when was it 100 1920 so it's like literally 100 years not that long one century the world would look so different the roads would have horse manure on them you know like it sounds silly but it's unrecognizable and I think in a hundred years time this world will be unrecognizable it's gonna be crazy and I think that's why I wanted to call the subtitle how to stay human in an online world because our humanity is something that you can't really a robot can't really take away like they might be able to take our job but then we can hopefully create a society when we're being more human with each other um but yeah it's fascinating and it's so funny when you say that because we're about to live in a hugely different world in the future but at the moment it's like I went on the HMRC website and it wouldn't load properly so I'm like come on (laughs) like let's get our technology go to the post office yeah like you know there's so many things that aren't good with our technology that need updating so hopefully it will Um, but thank you so Mm. much this conversation it's always so fun talking to you and we're always just thinking about very similar things so I've really enjoyed it no me too thank you Emma it's been absolutely fantastic so before we wrap up I'd love it of course tell us where if people don't already and I'm sure they do where can they listen to your podcast where can they get disconnected and follow your work so my podcast is control Alt, delete it goes out every Thursday and disconnected you can get it anywhere but I really recommend going to bookshop.org because that's where you can place an order with an independent bookshop and I just want to support independent bookshops as much as I can. So yeah, get your copy and it's it's small. It's like a handbag size book. So, um, you know, it's, it's there for all of those reduced attention spans because I know that I'm finding it very hard to read at the moment. 
<laughs> yeah, well, 2040 is literally like, uh, wow, it's like an encyclopedia. It's huge. So I think we all appreciate those books that we know we're actually going to get to the end of, uh, as opposed to, you know, ones that we optimistically start and never finish, which is not good. Well, thank you so much, Emma. And thank you, everyone, as always, for tuning in and for listening to the show. If you're thinking, hello, where's the power hour section? Then as there was so much to get into the conversation today with Emma, I didn't want to, yeah, I guess revisit that. So if you want to, of course, scroll back, listen to Emma's first episode on the show and you can hear all about whether she is an early bird, a night owl, her power hour, productivity. We talk about it in depth. So dive into that. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Thank you.